Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers is a Christian apologetics ministry led by Dr. Pat Zucran. Pat provides compelling messages from top apologetic scholars defending the Christian worldview and provides valuable resources for every person seeking answers to life's questions, as well as addressing key issues of our time. Serving to equip Christians who want to effectively engage their world for Christ is our focus. Skeptics and critics allege that the Gospels have been edited and changed over the centuries. Therefore, we do not have accurate or reliable copies of the originals. Since we do not have the original texts, how do we know how accurate our copies are to the original text? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, our host, Pat, will be sharing from his weekly YouTube series, Question of the Week, where he explains how the New Testament was accurately preserved over 2,000 years. Aloha, and welcome to another episode of Question of the Week. I'm your host, Pat Zucaran, and each week we try to answer some of the toughest challenges and questions that skeptics, critics, and seekers have regarding the truth of Christianity. Well, these last several weeks, actually, we've been focusing on the historical reliability of the Gospels. We've really been focusing on them because they are some of the most important historical documents that tell us about the life, death, ministry, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if the Gospels are historically reliable, then Christianity is indeed true. And we've been building the case for the historical reliability of the Gospels through the date they have been written, non-Christian historical records that attest to their accuracy, archaeology. And now we're going to answer the questions, have the Gospels been accurately preserved? Right? Have the Gospels been accurately preserved? Now, critics argue that we do not have the original New Testament writings, and indeed they are correct. We do not have the original. Instead, they allege that what we have are copies of copies of copies of copies of copies, and over the generations, they have been corrupted. You know, handwritten copies aren't like computer copies or Xerox machines. So over the centuries, over the generations, they have been edited and changed and corrupted so that what we have now are not accurate historical records, but indeed corrupted copies that many allege were written centuries after the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. So we don't have an accurate historical record of Christ because the text was not preserved accurately, went under numerous edits and changes. Well, this is the whole area in which historians call textual criticism, all right, or study of the manuscript evidence. You look at the ancient manuscripts to see how accurate you can get to the original text. And there's basically two criteria at which historians look at when you're looking at how accurate are you to the original text. There's basically two things you're looking at. How many ancient manuscripts you have, and second, how close in date are your manuscripts to the lifetime of the author, right? Those are basically, you know, the two evidences or the criteria that they are looking for. First, the number of manuscripts. Generally speaking, the more ancient documents you have, the more accurate 
you're going to be to the original because you have more to compare from right you can compare and look and see all right and often you can identify where errors are for example if in my class I tell one student make a copy of my lecture notes okay and let's say it's a 5,000 word lecture and I say make a copy of my lecture notes well they'll, they'll probably make a pretty good accurate copy they may be some errors some spelling maybe word order punctuation but overall they'll have an accurate copy but let's say I say to all 50 of my students everybody make a copy of my notes and then when we're done let's compare notes right and produce most accurate copy comparing all 50 of your notes now which one's going to be more accurate one person all by themselves or 50 students and then comparing their work well obviously it's going to be 50 students as we compare our work with one another because if 40 students say one thing and maybe five students say something different then we know generally where the errors are okay so the more manuscripts you have the more manuscripts you can compare and you can pretty much figure out where the errors are and get back to the original. Second, you look at the time. How old are those manuscripts? How close are they to the lifetime of the author? And generally speaking, generally speaking, the closer the date is to the lifetime of the author, generally the more accurate it's going to be. For example, if you had a first generation copy of an author's work, or a fifth generation copy of the author's work. All right, which one is more accurate generally? Generally, you're going to say that first generation copy is more accurate. But let's say you have fifth generation copies and tenth generation copies. Well, which one's more accurate, tenth generation or fifth? Generally, you would say the fifth generation copies are more accurate. It's probably got less changes and less edits and less spelling errors and variants what we call in the fifth generation than in the tenth generation so that's what you're looking for how many copies do you have and how close are they to the date of the author and when it comes to the New Testament I'm gonna say there's no comparison when it comes to those two criteria there's no comparison when it comes to the New Testament and historical works of its time and these historical works, Greek and Roman and Jewish, are considered very accurate. And yet, I think the New Testament far surpasses in the number of manuscripts we have and how close they are to the date of the author. Also, one of the great things you need to understand about the New Testament text, the process was not linear, but rather exponential. All right, not linear, but exponential. Let me explain. It wasn't one copy of the Gospel of John was made, and then one copy after that, and then one copy after that, and then one copy after that. All right, that's not how it went. You had the original text of John, and probably about 10 copies were made of John's authentic work. And then from those 10 copies, you got 50 copies. All right, and then from those 50 copies, probably 200 copies were made. Right? It was exponential. So we have a lot of manuscripts, and that's what you would expect when the apostles wrote their inspired works, and then they wanted it circulated around the churches throughout the Roman Empire. Right? So how many copies do we have? We have literally thousands when it comes to the New Testament. We have thousands 
of these ancient manuscripts. Now, you would expect in these thousands of copies for there to be a lot of variance, you know, spelling differences, grammatical differences, maybe a word added here, a word added there, some a word taken out, some an extra word or even an extra phrase might have been added. That's what you would expect with so many copies. For example, right, if I had 50 students making a copy of you know, my notes, which are 5,000 words, you might expect two, 300 differences, all right? People perhaps missing a word, adding a word, misspelling a word, differences in punctuation. But overall, I mean, let's just say you had a thousand differences. I mean, the number really doesn't matter. When you have copies from which you can compare, you can pretty much get back to the original document with a lot of accuracy. So that's what we would expect with so many copies. You would expect differences in spelling, perhaps differences in word order, maybe some added words, some missing words, differences in punctuation. But no matter how many differences exist, we could still figure out what the original text was to a high degree of accuracy. Right now, when it comes to the New Testament, how many ancient manuscripts do we have? Well, when it comes to Greek manuscripts, we have over 5,000, all right, over 5,000. Now, how do historical works compare to the New Testament? Well, Josephus, he's a first century Jewish historian who recorded history for the Roman Empire, considered a very accurate historian there. His works, the Jewish War, much of what happened in the Near East during the first century comes from Josephus. Well, how many manuscripts do we have? Nine manuscripts, about 400 years after the life of Josephus. Tacitus, outstanding Roman historian in his Annals of Imperial Rome. How many ancient manuscripts do we have? Well, we've got two over a thousand years after the life of Tacitus. What about Caesar's Gaelic Wars? Much of what we know about the great Caesar comes from these historical works over a thousand years after the life of the author. Herodotus, another outstanding historian and few, few would argue you know, to the historical accuracy of these texts that I just mentioned here. Herodotus, eight copies. Plato, all right, many of us read Plato in college. How many ancient copies do we have of Plato? We have seven, thousand years after the life of Plato. The best documented manuscript. How does the New Testament compare to all of these? Well, when it comes to the New Testament, you have right, over 5,000 Greek manuscripts. The earliest is a fragment, the famous fragment called the Rylands Fragment that was found in Egypt dating 120 AD and it was a portion of the Gospel of John. All right, so that's within 30 years of John's life. Now you compare it to the other works of its time, I mean 30 years is minuscule. It's minuscule compared to these other works that I just mentioned that historians don't argue whether they are accurate or not. Now. The Rylands fragment, you know, what it shows is that there are copies of the New Testament circulating around the Roman world and that the original writer wrote well within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. Because remember, you know, he has to write his gospel there in Asia Minor. And then it gets copied and copied and copied and copied and copied as it comes down Jordan, Palestine, and there it ends up in Egypt. Now, not only do we have ancient Greek manuscripts, over 5,000 from which through computer technology now we can compare, 
We also have writings of the church fathers, the ancient church fathers, the very early ones, Polycarp, Clement, and others knew the apostles, and they quote the apostles. In fact, in the first 300 years, the church fathers quote every verse of the New Testament except 11. All right, so even if we didn't have these ancient Greek manuscripts, if we just had the writings of the church fathers, we could pretty much reconstruct 99% of the New Testament. So we have the writings of the church fathers from which we can compare. We also have ancient translations, the Latin translation, the Coptic, the Syriac, which were done in the third, fourth century AD, thousands of those copies as well from which we can compare. Then you have lexicons, you have hymns, you even have you know, heretical works like the false Gnostic Gospels that quote some of the Gospels and their passages. So, I mean, you throw it all together, you have over 24,000 ancient documents from which you can compare. And not only do you have 24,000 documents, they're dated, well, pretty close to the lifetime of the authors, but not only that, they're from all different parts of the Roman world, from Europe, from Asia, and Africa. All right, so it's not like the guys in Asia could copy what's going on in Europe or edit and change. I mean, you know, they're working on their texts. You got the guys in Europe working on their texts. You got the guys in Africa working on their texts. And so we would expect to see a wide variety and differences. But instead, what we have are texts that are very similar with very minor variance in reading. So in the end, when you put all these texts together, we have 110% of the New Testament, right? Not 90%, not 60%. We have 110% of the New Testament text. The real problem is figuring out uh, what was added with all those texts from which you can compare using computer technology now. You can get pretty accurate to the original. Top New Testament scholars will agree we're about 98% accurate to the original text. And the small percentage that we're not sure about really don't affect any major doctrine uh, when it comes to the New Testament. So the number of manuscripts, the time of how old your copies are compared to you know how close they are to the lifetime of the author, fact that there are thousands of them from all different parts of the world from which now we can compare pretty much tells you we're pretty accurate to the original. Now let's get to a couple questions here. Bart Ehrman maybe poses the greatest challenge right now to the authenticity and reliability of the Gospels. He's a former evangelical scholar who ended up really going liberal and now I think he's an agnostic or an atheist and he's written some of those popular works saying that the New Testament, especially the Gospels, are not historically reliable. And I'm going to quote from one of his books here, Misquoting Jesus. He says, What good is it to say that the autographs, the originals, were inspired? We don't have the originals. We have only error-ridden copies. The vast majority of these are centuries removed from the originals and different from them, evidently in thousands of ways. There are more variations among the manuscripts than there are words in the New Testament. Right, so Ehrman and many skeptics follow Ehrman's lead, allege that there are so many different readings between the manuscripts, we cannot trust the New Testament that we have today as an accurate copy of the original. 
And he is correct. There are about 130,000 words in the New Testament, and there are about 400,000 variations in the manuscripts, different kinds of readings. Now, should that shake our faith? Well, according to the top textual expert today, one of my professors, Dr. Daniel Wallace from Dallas Seminary, one of the few men in the world who has actually looked and photographed and studied these ancient manuscripts. He says this, a textual variant is simply any difference from a standard text that involves spelling, word order, omission, addition, substitution, or total rewrite of the text. Note that any difference, no matter how slight, is added to the total count. So with 5,000 manuscripts, you should expect a lot of variants. Remember, what they mean by a variant or difference in reading is any change, no matter how minor, a spelling, a word order, a punctuation, that counts as a variation or a difference. So with 5,000 ancient manuscripts, you should expect many variant readings. And if you add the other writings in there, sure, you should expect thousands of variant readings. Now, the variant readings, when he says they are variant or different, what does he mean by that? Well, when you study them, 99% are minor, and they do not change any. They don't affect the meaning of the text in any significant ways. According to Dan Wallace, over half, 200,000 of these different variant readings are spelling errors. Other variants include word order, like was it Christ Jesus or was it Jesus Christ? Well, it doesn't change the meaning of the text. So less than 1% would be considered significant, and it doesn't change any theology. When we say significant, it means that there could be two or more possible different readings of a sentence, but the readings are relatively equal. I mean, they really don't make a significant difference in theology or what the text is trying to communicate. So Bart Ehrman's argument that there are thousands of variants, therefore we cannot trust the text, well, you have to look at what he means by variants, and most of them are very, very minor. So what we have in our New Testament today is about 99% accurate to the original, and that 1%, 2% variant reading really doesn't affect the meaning of the text. So we can be assured we've got it very accurate copy to the original. Another question comes in here is that, Pat, why didn't God preserve the original text of the New Testament writers? That's a very interesting question. Well, it might be that, first of all, God understands our inclination to worship objects. So had the originals been around, we might be worshiping them in some way or paying some kind of special veneration to them. Secondly, there is a safeguard when there are so many copies in different parts of the world. All right, let me explain. Let's just say my family has the original writings of the New Testament, all right, and they're locked up in our family vault, okay, and they've been uh, locked up there for thousands of years. Well, how do you know I haven't touched and edited and changed the text? How do you know? You don't, because I have one text, the original, and it's sitting in my vault. And you don't know whether I've messed with it or not. But we don't have the originals. Instead, what we have are thousands of copies from Europe, from Asia, and from Africa. All right, And that actually preserves the authenticity of the text, because these copies are being made in different parts of the Roman 
world. You know, so a guy from Europe back then can't pick up the cell phone and call a guy in Asia and says, hey, I'm changing this part of John 16. All right, make sure you make that change too. Hey, and you in Africa, make that change too. You know, they can't, right? They're working in different parts of the world. And when we look at these texts, they are remarkably similar. So when you got all these copies and all these different parts of the Roman Empire, plus different translations as well, you know, it actually helps to preserve the text. That's why I think perhaps God did not preserve the original text. I think we've got time for one more question, so I'm going to go after one more. Why are there four Gospels, and why are they different from each other if they're telling the same account of Jesus? Well, that's kind of the beauty of seeing the life and message of Jesus Christ from four different angles, all right? For example, if you're writing a biography on my father, all right, who passed away, my perspective or my biography is going to sound different because I'm his son, all right? So you're coming from that perspective. Now, if his best friend from high school all the way through their adult years is writing the biography of my father, his perspective and the things he's going to add in and the stories he's going to say is going to be different from mine because he's looking at it from my father, you know, from the perspective of my father's best friend. Now, if my mother writes a biography, her perspective is going to be different from the both of us because she's writing, you know, from the perspective of a woman as the wife of my father. So you're going to have three different perspectives here. Are we wrong? Are we contradicting each other? No, we're just writing from different perspectives here. We've got different angles on the same person. And you put our stories together and you might get a more complete picture of my father. Same thing with Jesus, right? We have Matthew, who is a disciple, who is writing to a Jewish audience, all right? And he's trying to prove to the Jews that Jesus is indeed their Messiah. So this is the most Jewish of all the Gospels here. Then you have Mark, who is writing to a Gentile audience. Now, Gentiles, we don't care about Jewish customs and all this. They, they, you know, they want to know what did Jesus do. And so Mark is the most action-packed of all the Gospels. You keep seeing that phrase over and over again in the Gospel of Mark. And then Jesus did this. And immediately after Jesus did this. And immediately after Jesus did this. Mark moves very quickly, you know, like an action movie. Why? He's writing to Gentiles who are not familiar with Jewish culture. They, he's trying to convince them Jesus is the Son of God through what he did. Luke. Luke is a doctor now and he wants to give an accurate chronological history of the life of Jesus. So it's one of the most historically accurate of the Gospels. And then you have John. John is very different. John is a disciple of Christ, and he doesn't write his Gospel until the very end of his life, in his 90s, all right? So now, here's a disciple of Jesus 60 years later, after a lifetime of reflecting on his walk with God and his encounter with Jesus Christ and reflecting on the teachings of Christ, teaching what Jesus taught as well. And now after 60 years of reflecting and teaching on it, now he sits down to write his gospel. And that's why John is the most theological of all the gospels. So you put them together and they're writing from different perspectives and for different audiences with a different purpose. And it gives us a much richer right, and fuller account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So that's why we've got four Gospels here, and uh, they don't contradict one another. If you look at them carefully, they give us 
complementary accounts of the life of Christ. Well, that's all the time we got for this week. Hope you'll join us for our next episode of Question of the Week as we continue to answer some of the toughest challenges that skeptics and seekers ask regarding the truth and credibility of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So send your questions to pat at evidenceandanswers.org, pat at evidenceandanswers.org, and we'll try to answer them here on future episodes of Question of the Week. Also, you know, I invite you to go to my webpage there at evidenceandanswers.org. Tremendous resources there, over 500 interviews I've had with some of the top scholars on all kinds of issues, from world religions to science to the historical reliability of the Gospels. And also, invite you to like our YouTube page, the Pat Zucaran or Honolulu Christian Church. And hey, you don't have a church on Sunday? Uh, come join us here at the Honolulu Christian Church, whether live, in person, or through live stream. Great services here at the Honolulu Christian Church. So hope to see you, whether on the internet or live. So we look forward to seeing you again here on another episode of Question of the Week. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucarak. <laughs>